everyone, welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. Today we have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Piotr Pissar, CEO and founder at Uncapped, a leading alternative finance provider empowering ambitious companies to turbocharge growth through non-dilutive capital. Prior to his current role, Piotr was a venture capital investor at Corvelia Capital, DN Capital and Finch Capital, focusing on banking and lending investments. He has held multiple positions, including four years at Google, helping directors deliver growth with data insights. Enjoy listening. Yeah, great, Walter. Well, without further ado, then, um, let's start the show. I think the first question um, I have, because you have quite a career, I would say, in investing, what would you say if you had to choose one thing, right? right? What's the one thing that determines your pursuit of a career in investing? I think it's just curiosity. Uh, and, you know, I I don't think I have ADHD, but I like to... I was always fascinated with the businesses. I, I love to read the biographies of different entrepreneurs. And this career, either equity or debt side, you know, allows you to meet and talk to all these entrepreneurs, get to know their business, help them, work alongside them. And I love it. It's, it's just like, you know, I, I love businesses as a, like, you know, as a, as a part of a society, as an organization, no? like business is a form of like, organi- like, organizational function for people like you know this is how you you know in the modern world bringing people together as a as a as a, as a, as a team uh so i love to look at this and see how differently they operate right is there uh, on the books i think there's an interesting hook there any books you would recommend of entrepreneurs anyone you particularly like or is there an entrepreneur you maybe see you look up to you see an example Loads of entrepreneurs I uh, look up to, and there are like all those examples. You know, you have businesses of the world, etc. But you know, the books I like to. Um, the book I read recently was by the guy last name Levi, and he was a CFO at Pixar. And it was a story. I forget the title. It was the story about the you know, uh, the Pixar from an angle of CFO. And, you know, the tough decisions he made and how he joined the company when they had literally almost zero revenue and they they were preparing for the IPO and everything uh, uh, past it. I love the book about Sam Walton, founder of, uh, um, you know, Walmart. I think, you know, how he started, but with a small store and, you know, built this massive, massive, massive company. Uh, And I think Reserve 2 may be less known, which I would recommend to all entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I guess it um, can be super inspirational, right? I'm a big fan of myself, Richard Branson, for different reasons, but uh, I like how the visionaire he is and the risks that he took. I mean, now it all seems very obvious, right? Where he, How he built his empire. And like, yeah, of course you would do playing. Look at what you built with Virgin. Oh, yeah, of course you would go into records because be- back then there weren't that much uh, record stores around. But I guess it's taking that risk that really defines for me a successful entrepreneur, right? Is willing to take that risk and that leap. Exactly. And, and that's... I guess probably if you'd analyze DNA of, a, of an entrepreneur, that would probably be different from maybe have your normal. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so back to kind of your uh, career in investing. Did you start investing at a very young age, like when you were in high school or anything like that? Or did you have family who were into investing? Oh, no, never. And, you know, like it took me a long time because I didn't understand the stock market. And, you know, I always thought that, you know, Stock picking, like, oh, what a weird name, you know, like, you, what do you mean stock picking? Like, and this, this felt so strange, but, you know, price changes every day. Uh, I, I found it weird, so I was staying away. 
I started my career in advisory. I was, you know, my first job was uh, being a, like a business consultant. I was sent to this plywood factory uh, in the middle of Poland, and I was spending. I was very with a stopwatch, figuring out how to optimize the processes. Yeah. So I was like, I always liked the nitty gritty detail of a business and how do you make operations better? How do you make the company run better? So I was in consulting. When I joined investment bank, I was in banking and, and this was like one step closer to, to investing. Uh, and then I joined Google. So I was with Google for several years, but I really thought I really want to work in startups. I really want to do something with startups and VC seemed like a very, very cool job. Um, but you know, I saw, always thought VC is like, it's half investing and half maybe predicting the future or helping to create the future you want to see. So that's what I was really appealed to me. Yeah, because that's so when you started in that plywood factory in 2009, right? And so now it's that's fine. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was not at least looking at your LinkedIn profile, and that's where I yeah, got it from. So yeah. see the plywood factory. Uh, yeah. There. In in the meantime, I mean, now you found Uncapped, right? About four and a half years ago. Um, how did that come about? What's the uh, founding story, if you will? You know, I was a VC at the time, and um, there were two factors I've seen. First of all, I've seen all the founders coming to me and looking for equity investment when what they often needed is debt, but no one was offering them a debt. They need. So I thought actually like there's a need for this product in the market. And secondly, this is now coming true, I felt VC space is so crowded, you know, and I think it will be very, very hard to make the returns. It will be very, very hard to make the career also as a, as a, as engineer VC. I think, you know, now again, the downturn, you know, it's, it, it's very, very difficult for someone to set up their own fund to, to be a partner. And I thought that, you know, market for that is so much bigger. Like, you know, VC re- VCs are targeting, you know, 20% return in reality, right? Per year. And I can achieve higher returns uh, from the debt, actually. And, you know, I can give that probably to, let's say, you know, 50, 60, 70% of the companies. Well, VCs can only invest in like one in a hundred. So I'm like, okay, I think, you know, same returns, much bigger market, much less crowded, bigger opportunity. Let's do that instead, you know, uh, having another VC coming where there is a million of them already. Seems so obvious, like Richard Branson, almost. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you, you speak about uh, kind of uh, people were asking for equity, uh, but you saw that they actually needed debt, how do you... Advice, how do you talk to organizations now? So when is that, what is that intersection like? When does uh, asking for equity become debt or when do they need equity more? It's, it's different needs have a different capital structure. Like if you're looking for money for R&D, if you want to, you know, invest in, you know, if you want to build a new product, create new category, uh, maybe expand the new market, but not always. This is very risky and it should be using equity. If you have already proven product market fit, if you just need more money to grow, you need to, you want to buy more inventory, you want to buy more ads, you want to buy more salespeople, you know, 
this is where that is much better. So it's sometimes about uh, the moment in the, or like a stage in the company life cycle. Mm-hmm. I think once you get mature enough, often like you don't want to be keep diluting yourself. You want to start using that as a growth engine and we're still becoming. Yeah. And I guess from a depth point of view, you fund anywhere between 50,000 up to 10 million pounds. Is that right? We actually can go even lower, the lowest side, we go to 10,000 for, uh, some Amazon merchants. Okay. So for Amazon merchants, we have a much more sophisticated data driven approach, uh, where we just optimized landing and we can, we can go smaller for the non Amazon client, you know, this may require a bit more work. So it's just economical, um, to do loans smaller than, you know, 50, hundred thousand pounds. Because I guess the success of your debt fundings, how do you call it? Debt investments or how do you call it? Loans. Loans. Yeah. That's might be a good one. Actually very obvious one. Um, <laughs> the success of your loans or of your business model, is it heavily dependent on data? Yes, it is. Listen, I think we have, a. I think what we do really, really we understand e-commerce and SaaS. And we know how to very easily and effectively get the data out of you and analyze them and give you a, you know, mega core decision. We take a lot of data and, you know, I think our prediction, prediction models, because we, we, our technology basically builds a forecast, cash flow forecast, uh, for a business. We don't care about the PNL forecast. We care about the cash flow forecast, mm-hmm. which is very, very different. And we build a cash flow forecast for, for the client. And it's very funny because sometimes very often we are able to predict their cash flow and, you know, their gaps and, you know, where they need to have too much money and too, too little money, uh, better than themselves. Because of the data models that you use. Yeah. Yeah. And because of the sophistication, you know, like we really like look at the working capital, like we know. Historically, when are you spending money? When you're buying, like, like what, how's the cycle looking? What's the seasonality? Like, how's your opex versus inventory purchases versus revenue? Uh, maybe some payables are changing. Like, we look at all of this, and it really allows us to model the company better than by you know, part-time CFO or like no CFO in the business, which often happens. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and I guess probably you also have the data of so many other companies, right? That this one yeah. company doesn't have access to, exactly. so. That's how you can build your models as well, which becomes super exactly. reliable. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Did you, I mean, if you think back of those days, four and a half years ago, when you started, uh, was that model the first thing you made sure to have in place? Or what was the first thing you made sure you had in place? I don't know, maybe it was a desk and a chair. I have no idea, but what was the first thing uh, you made sure you had in place? The first thing, uh, my first hire was a CTO and we started with data ingestion. So. I think the first thing we built was a surprising WooCommerce integration. So, you know, we, I always, I believe in, you know, before you build something, you have to find the customer. Mm-hmm. So we found the customer who wants a loan and they were using WooCommerce. So normally we do Shopify integration first, but this customer had WooCommerce. So we built WooCommerce integration to analyze the revenue. And they sent us the PNL in the Excel format and we had a revenue connection uh from woocommerce so this is what we built on shopify it took us three months 
to build a function to repay a loan. So after we gave a loan for three months, the customer were not even able to repay it uh, because we were like too focused on, you know, building the uh, revenue integration and like, like the first, like, you know, data ingestion. We're like, let's worry about the repayment. Like, let's give it first, she loans first. Crazy. How did you go out and find that first customer? Was it you smashing the phones down and just knowing, okay, who has a WooCommerce integration? I'll just call them all and see if they need a loan or how did that go? Well, there was this brand I like called Lestrange, but it's a London-based brand and they do clothes for, for men like me and I liked them. So I think I emailed the founder, I called the founders and I went to the store and I knew they'll be very store. So I, I bought a pair of pants and chatted to them and, you know, sold them on the idea, hey, we can help them scale, we can give them a That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, that's a great war story to tell though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so current state of Uncapped then, how many customers do you have? How many loans do you have out to the extent that you can share now? I think we've done about maybe half a billion loans, maybe a bit, maybe a bit more and probably thousand clients. Okay. Wow. All right. Okay. So it's high tickets value, basically high. Yeah. yeah. Never comes. Yeah. yeah. From the 28th to the 30th of November 2023, professionals of the cards and digital trust technologies industries will once again take center stage at Trust Tech, the annual meeting place of their ecosystem, which will take place at Paris Expo Porte de Versailles. A popular mix of trade shows and conference, Trust Tech showcases the latest hardware and technologies involved in the markets related to payments, identification, and security. Entry to the event is free, covering both the visit of the exhibition and attendance to the conferences. So make sure to grab your free badge today by visiting trusttech-event.com. Do you have any stories you can share on what was one of, probably one of the best investments you've done or loans you've extended over these past four and a half years and what's been the, the worst one? The best loans, you know, it's very hard to say, you know, from a profitability perspective, you know, uh, frankly, we've made some decent return on Silicon Valley bank collapse. Like there were people who needed the money just to pay payroll. And they will pay quite high fees for a short-term loan just to get the liquidity. But this was a good time for us, money-wise. We've done, you know, odd few loans, which are like one-off loans, which when someone really needed a lot of money very fast, no one else can do it. And we were able to drop everything and like help people in this situation. So we have a very high ROI on this loan and a very quick time. I would say, you know, overall, to me, the best loans are the long-term customers we have who, you know, borrow from us, you know, millions a month, every month for a, for a long time. Um, you know, we have a lot of customers like that. Um, we talk about them every week on our, on our page, you know, like I'm super proud, for example, of Flickr, you know, it's like, a, you know, the photo sharing app. Uh, Quite, quite old, but you know, it's a very great profitable SaaS company and like we love lending to them. We have plenty of e-commerce companies. Bad loans, oh man, like there's so many, unfortunately. Not, not that many, but there were some. <laughs> there were some, you know, we probably lost, you know, we lost millions uh, on bad loans. And part of it was frankly our own stupidity. It was a learning process. Like we, it took us, you know, many years four years 
of work to realize, you know, what we have to watch out for, how to analyze the companies. So we haven't done a bad law really in one year, but like two years ago, we applied to a few companies like, you know, DM Lewin, for example, which, you know, went bust. We had a big exposure there, whereas it was another company called was a uh, really, really great brand actually. They were called Organic Basics. They, they were like, like I think Finnish brand or like a Nordic brand. We love them. We had a good traction. We have a term sheet signed for investment around and we, we get them along. Unfortunately, war started in Ukraine and the investors pulled out the term sheet, the company of well, the revenues dipped and we lost, you know, 1 million euro on this note. So. We had a few cases like this. Luckily, I think for last year and a half, we've been lucky, good, skilled in avoiding these situations. I mean, it sounds like quite a lot of money, right? Does it keep you up at night? Does it stress you out sometimes or not? It used to. Um, I trust the team now a lot. So I think we, we really, I really have an amazing team. And, uh, you know, when something bad happens, of course you're stressed. I think this is the worst part of a big landing business. Like, you know, the more you grow, the more cases of clients not paying are happening to you. So it's always frustrating. Um, but you know, at some point like you, it's a part of the business. I remember first time we lost money, I was so stressed and I was so embarrassed to go to investors and say, I lost money. And they were like, well, part of your business, uh, but like, for me, it was like, what? I can lose money. Like you are paying back as a fraud case. Like, oh, this was, this was a very, very interesting, uh, interesting learning for us. I can imagine. Yeah. What kind of market conditions is your business dependent on? Would you say? Oh, listen, like, uh, that our business is very different in good times and bad times in good times, like we had a few years ago, uh, the benefits are, you know, the companies are getting funded, they need more money because people are buying stuff. So they want to buy more inventory, uh, less companies go bankrupt because VCs were, you know, investing in them and giving them money. The problem was the capital was so cheap that, you know, people could have got equity uh very cheaply so like why would i even bother getting that if investors are throwing money at me at the crazy valuations of course i'll take it now the pro now the situation changed so companies are like okay i want that because equity is so impossible to get so i can get a debt it's much much more efficient uh but you know the interest rates are high so our cost of capital is high and we have to you know charge customers more the companies are struggling. So, you know, our approval rate probably at least like, I think it moved probably our approval rate changed from something like, you know, 60% to 25%, which is a huge change, right? So I need to have more than two, two and a half, three times more leads coming to the funnel to do the same amount of volume of uh, of loans, I see the conversion rate late, late, later is, is different. So, but more clients are interested in that, in that because of equity. So it's, it's different markets with different conditions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not straightforward to say when this happens, then we will get yeah. it that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Interesting. So, I mean, you just spoke about these past or two years ago, right? How have you viewed the market as a debt financer or as a loan provider? How have you seen the market develop? And what what is your view now looking back over these past, I was going to ask 12 months, but uh, I guess let's look post-COVID boom up to now, because I think we've been through uh, a clear up and uh, a clear down, I would say. How do you view your view on that? Post-COVID view was crazy for us. Like we've seen, you know, we were a tiny company when COVID started. Like we were probably less than a year old. We were like nine, 10 people. And when the COVID started, they just closed our first round, our second round. And uh, yeah, it was very, very interesting. You know, you see all this demand looking up. And I remember we closed the round, round, investment round in August. The COVID, I think, started in like March. By August, we would, would see like all this e-commerce growing. So, uh, and like in September, so like I think two months after the round closed, I came to investors and said, I think we need to raise more money because you're growing so fast. Like, this is crazy. I need to raise more money. And they were like, what? Like, you literally just raised a month ago. And I was like, look at these numbers. He was like, okay, let's wait one more month. One month more happened. I like, like, I really need to raise some money. So, um, and we closed the next round very, very quickly. Uh, and, but the problem was the competition was just insane. Like we had, there was a revenue-based finance provider coming up in every market, uh, every week. Like my investors were sending me, oh, this is new TechCrunch, TechCrunch, TechCrunch articles. This company came up and this and this and this. And we really lost um, a bit of revision at the time because the investors were saying, well, like, how are we going to win? What's your model? or I'm going to differentiate and you start to think and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And we're like, oh, we're going to launch a banking product. So we're not going to do only a loan, just a full banking solution. And we got so distracted. Like we got so distracted after like we hired, we hired this amazing team from Revolut, like this, this, this guy, he was running Revolut business and he joined us. He hired a huge team of like 50 people to build a banking product. And um, after one year, I realized like I have more people working on the banking product than clients uh, using this product. Uh, completely not the startup way. And the whole company like, were like, are we building a lending business? Are we building a banking business? Are we working in the US, in Europe? And we had to like, after a few more months, we had to shut it down because there's too much distraction and, and uh, burning too much money. So very interesting time and very interesting learnings for a founder. Yeah, you become super opportunistic, right? Where the times are good. Uh, you're like, well, everything seems to work well. Why don't we do something else as well? Exactly. And I'm going to so much money everywhere. Like yeah. Investors will, will give me like more money. Let's do it for that. Oh, crazy times. So you cut out that banking product. Yeah, that's off the table. Yeah, no. we did. We so did. it's purely lending that you focus on. Yes. We did more than that. We killed most of the markets, which was too small for us. Like, you know, we had loans in Slovenia, had loans in Sweden, Finland, Portugal, like, you know, two customers in Sweden, one customer in Slovenia, one customer there, like, we shut it all down. 
we shut down all small customers. So uh, we used to do loans from 10,000. And um, at some point, like I looked at the numbers and realized like, you know, 90% of customers were responsible for like 5% of revenue. And that they were eating all the time of my salespeople and operations, etc. So we were like, let's shut down all the small deals, all the small clients. We will not do them anymore. Um, and we really said, okay, we're going to be the best lending provider to large e-commerce businesses in UK, US, Germany. Uh, and this is, you know, this really changed our company. How difficult was it to make those decisions at the time? Frankly, not so much. Like I think, no, I really felt, so for me, I really felt very, very strongly about this, but my co-founder didn't. So fortunately he became ex-co-founder. Because of that reason, yeah. Yeah, like we couldn't agree on the strategy. Like he didn't want to, you know, I cut the marketing spend, you know, like I was like, we're spending too much money on marketing. Like, like. I like, I literally, he, he wanted to continue building banking. He wanted to continue doing red. My view was we really need to like shrink the company. So we fired like, you know, 40% of people in the business, um, to do that. And he was afraid of that. He was afraid of a press. He was afraid of, of the changes. He was afraid of a market perception. Uh, my view was it just has to be done. But I think like this is where like I had experience as a VC where like I can detach from the business. I can detach like like there's me pure to me as an investor and there's a pure to me as a CEO and and I thought like looking from from the back, like the numbers are clear, like this has to be done. And it's an emotional, like we made a bad decisions, let's fix them. Yeah, I mean, if you can rationalize that and indeed, like you said, can detach, then these decisions tend to be much easier if you stick to the emotional part. Right? Yeah, that makes, yeah exactly. makes total sense. Looking ahead then now, so I guess this question is twofold. One is regarding the markets uh, being a loan provider and two is uncapped. What do the next 12 months look like, you think, for the the, the market of, of, of being or, or being on the market as a loan provider? So yeah, it depends on different economic conditions. Uh, it's not as straightforward as, okay, when interest rates are high, we do uh, well or the other way around. Um, but wh- where do you think the market is heading for the next 12 months? Do you think we will go back to where we were just after COVID? Do you think there is a recovery going on right now that will be good for everyone? What does your crystal ball say? I think we see a small rebound. So the market cleared. What we see is that, you know, poor companies are collapsing mm-hmm. we're going bankrupt good companies are slowly back on the growth trajectory slowly no one will be growing like crazy or most of our companies will be growing like crazy but you know this good companies they are taking this time to optimize improve processes improve the economics and now we're slowly okay well we, we cut down the people wherever you fall down now we are slowly back to rebuilding, rebuilding, rebuilding. So if you looked at it uncapped, what are the next 12 months for uncapped look like? So now we are growing a lot. Um, we really like a year ago, we fired this, this huge percentage of, of people in the company. And then we did like more 
smaller changes to the team. People like we, you know, we really upgraded the team. I think 80% of the company is with us for less than um, 12 months. I think it might be now like, like 85, 90% of people are with us less than uh, 12 months. Uh, we have a really outstanding team and we are like, we're really growing now. So like on average, we're growing like 20% a month. Uh, so for us, it's just, you know, the execution was, was good, is good. I want to keep, 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 you know, keep doing this. That's great. I guess you probably got to this place by even making difficult decisions you had to make, even though you don't label as difficult. Um, I'm going to be the one who's going to label as difficult, but, uh, <laughs> last question for me. More, yeah, sorry. They are difficult decisions. Like I think, you know, like, let's listen, I, I don't sound like, you know, um, I think Gobi boys had a difficult decision. I, it's, it, it's very painful emotionally. Letting every, every single person, letting go, every single person is tough. You feel bad. You feel sick. Like you, you are, you know, you are impacting someone's life. It's very, very, it's very emotional. It's very tough. At the same time, like sometimes, you know, you have to be done and you don't have doubt about whether it's just good or bad. It's just, it's an easy decision to make. It's a difficult decision to execute. Yeah, exactly. Now maybe my label undervalued the decision. So I think it's, uh, I'm glad that you gave that context. I think it, it's all, I mean, the, the, the decision is difficult to make, but not making the decision will probably put you in a more difficult situation, right? And that's exactly. sort of uncapped in this case. Exactly. So, exactly. And that's the kind of, um, <clears throat> as part of the job description, that's what you're there for. What? Unfortunately, yeah. As hard as they are. Uh, cool. So one last question to close, uh, more personal. Again, if you look at your job, last four and a half years uh, with Uncapped, what makes your job fun? What are some of the highs in your job? And when are you like, I can't get out of bed. I hate, I dread to go into this particular meeting. Or when do you go? When is your day um, not fun? Or when you're on your low, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um. Think you know a year and a half ago when the business struggled, I was fighting with my ex co-founder. Uh, I knew that things were going in the direction. And this was an absolute low. Like like I won't lie, you know, I, I had to take some antidepressants. I think in my lowest of the lows, I remember having investors call like my monthly call with investors, and I was so ashamed. I was so stressed, so sad, I wasn't able to dial in. I literally messaged them, sorry, I can't do it. And then I went to bed and cried. And you know, this is when you are really on, like, you know, you are worried about the future of your business, yourself, employees. You feel like, you know, you raise these like tens of millions of pounds or dollars and you're going to wait it. Like you feel embarrassed, you feel scared. Um, and this was terrible. This was absolutely terrible. And like, it required, you know, medication and rechanging the lifestyle, uh, to get back. Uh, but you know, we, we made these tough decisions at the yeah. end of the day. And, you know, now, frankly, my, my, my job is so much fun. Like, you know, like the team is working extremely well. Uh, we just spoke 
you know, like I went to Burning Man and I had like months holiday and like the company is doing perfectly fine. And so when you can come to work and to work with this super motivated professional team, who's really like, you feel this great team spirit, this really brings so much joy and fun. Um, and what I love the most about my job is that, you know, like in the morning, I will have spend some time with product team. Then I will spend some time with the risk team. Then I will record a podcast with you. And when I will go over, you know, uh, maybe meet some clients. And uh, tomorrow I'll go to a conference and, you know, speak to some prospects. Uh, and then maybe, you know, spend some time with my uh, ops team or finance team, you know, how do we structure something? So it's a very fun, enjoyable and enjoyable job where, you know, you can also, you can decide every day what you want to focus on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. So it sounds like I get inspired by, uh, especially the highs of your job. I have to say, um, I've had some lows myself for these last couple of years, but I wouldn't label them in the same seriousness as usual. I appreciate your candid and openness there. Um, thanks for being on the show. Uh, it's been great to have you and to talk a bit more, learn a bit more about Uncapped, but also the market in general. It's been a very fun conversation. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.